Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God Extroverts, cease and desist. <clears throat> Good morning. How's everybody doing? This is weird. I don't like this thing on my face. Um, okay. Let's start. I'm going to pray first before we start. Before I start. Lord, I thank you for this day. Um, I thank you for all that you do for us. I pray that we would always remain connected to, to that reality, to your reality, to your truth, to your um, love for us, your care for us, the grace you show us. Um, I, pr I thank you that you are our healer, Lord, as we, we pr sang that song this morning. We, you are. You heal physically. You heal mentally. You heal emotionally. Uh, you want us to turn to you in those moments of when we're down, when we're low, um, to reach out and reach up to you. And I thank you that you're present in those moments, um, as present as you are in our successes, in our triumphs. Um, you are always there. I thank you for that. Um, Lord, I feel like you've given me something to say this morning. I pray that you would say it. Um, pray that I would not get in the way, um, as cliche as that is. Um, I mean it from my heart. I don't want to get in the way. Um, so whatever it is you have to say to these folks here that are gathered and listening, um, say it. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right. This is an old joke by me, but... I took my glasses off because I need my glasses off so I can see what's on the paper. So which means I can't see you guys as well as I can see my paper. 
I can see you, but you're fuzzy. Which means, right, if you feel like I've locked in on you, I haven't locked in on you because I, <laughs> I can't see you. So if you feel locked in on, that's not me. That's the Lord. <clears throat> All right. We're, uh, we're continuing our discussion of the spiritual disciplines, which we've been talking about for weeks now in the context of creating space. Um, now, we have some preconceived notions about what the disciplines um, are. You know, they're the drudgery of the Christian walk. And uh, what, we're trying to, what we've been trying to do all these weeks is reframe that idea for you. Uh, the disciplines are, are a means to a closer relationship with the Lord. All right? When I was a freshman in college, in the last century, <clears throat> I had to read The Prince by Machiavelli. It's a short book. Um, and I forget which course it was, but I had to read it. Thankfully, it was short. Um, but in that book, the main, one of the main ideas that Machiavelli talks about is the ends justify the means. Um, and if there was anything to get Machiavellian about, uh, it's the end that we're seeking of deepening our relationship with the Lord. All right? Practicing the disciplines are a means to deepen our relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Last week, Josh talked about discernment. Right? And he asked us a, a series of questions. Can you actually know the will of God? Does the Lord have his best for you? Was that me or was that God? Simply put, discerning is responding to the presence of God. Josh talked about that last week. This week we go one step farther. We've discerned something that the Lord is showing us or telling us about his will or our purpose or a work he has for us. We have a choice to make whether to submit to that leading, right? And that begins our journey on the discipline of submission, which is what we're talking about today. Submission, one of the most anti-American spiritual disciplines. We live in a culture that pursues the American dream. We chase after more in so many areas of our life. More money, more promotions, more things, more stuff, more likes, more followers, more friends, more retweets, more shows to binge watch. And we seek, we seek after the more so that we can then make it all mine. Right? It's all mine. Submission calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow Christ. We're going to read uh, out of Matthew 16 here. Here we go. From that time on, okay, from that time on, what is he talking about there? If you look back in the previous verses, this is after Jesus asked his disciples who everyone said he was. Who do they say I am? Who do you think I am? Right? And he answers those questions. And Peter declared that Jesus was the Christ. Right? So after, from that time on, okay, from the time that he's confirmed who he is to them, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, 
but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Okay, Jesus is telling his disciples that he is the Christ, not just a teacher or a prophet or a good man. He confirms to them that he is the Messiah. Then he immediately tells them he has to die. He tells them that he's the guy, I'm the guy, I'm the guy you've been waiting for, I'm the guy generations of your ancestors have been waiting for. And he's not planning to build some new swanky temple for himself. Right? He's not planning to overthrow the Romans and seat himself on some earthly throne. He's not planning to unleash some new weapons of mass destruction, a term they haven't even conjured up yet, to control the known world. He's going to go to Jerusalem and die. Why? Because he's submitted to his Father's will. The purpose of the disciplines that we've been talking about all these weeks is freedom. Focusing on the disciplines themselves turns the whole process into a game of I'm better because, or I'm better than that person because, I measure up because, or I stink at this Christian walk thing because. Which turns the discipline, when, you do, when we do that, we turn the disciplines into another form of bondage and legalism. The disciplines that we've been talking about only matter in how they bring us closer to Christ. The one who brings the freedom that we seek and so desperately need. The discipline of submission that we're talking about today is all about grace. Often being in that spot where we can give grace to others. Because we're willing to let go of the demand within ourselves to always get our way. That's counter to the American dream. I don't know if you noticed that. It's counter to Western culture in general. So where does this start, this idea of being in a spot where we can give grace to others? Now, some of you may say, I can't show grace to others because I can't give grace to myself. I understand that. I've been there. Right? That's where all these other disciplines that we've been talking about come into play. If you want to develop a deeper relationship with the Lord so he can tell you what he loves about you, do you want to do that? About why you are lovable? Want him to speak to you about your identity in Christ so that you can leave behind the skewed view of yourself that you have? Practice some of the other disciplines that we've discussed, right? Listen to the podcast again from the previous weeks. Read the Sacred Rhythms book we've been talking about. Read Celebration of Discipline, the original book that everybody reads about this topic. Read some scripture. Create space in your day to, be, to sit in silence, to find some solitude. These are all words you should remember from previous weeks. Value taking a Sabbath. Pray the Lectio Divina. Right? Pray some scripture, some identity verses. I can send you a, a whole sheet of identity verses if you want it. Talk to him about what you want most from him. Right? We talked about today, birthdays, birthday Sunday for those May birthdays. Be Bartimaeus. Right? Ask, Jesus comes to you and says, what do you want me to do for you today to Bartimaeus? And Bartimaeus tells him, I want to see. Jesus knew he wanted to see. Jesus knew he was blind. Jesus knew what he needed. But Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Ask him into your life so that you can love yourself like he loves you. To see yourself as he sees you. 
then you can practice submission and begin to develop that grace perspective towards others. All right? Okay. So we begin, how do we begin this journey of submission? We make a commitment and resolve to yield our will, mind, and body for God's purpose so that we can better hear, receive, and obey his word and the Holy Spirit's prompting. It's a discipline because it takes effort on our part, right? If we say that we want a deeper, deeper relationship with the Lord, that we want to know his will generally and specifically for ourselves, we have to meet him halfway, or at least partway. We've got to at least turn towards him, right? By efforting to give up our desire for control. The biblical teaching on submission focuses mainly on the spirit with which we view others. This isn't about a Christian hierarchy, okay? This isn't about practicing the disciplines so that you can be better than someone else or stand higher up the Christian ladder. That's not what this is about, okay? This is a spirit of considering others first is central to Jesus' ministry and the New Testament in general. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 addresses this time and time again. Jesus talks about the Old Testament views on murder, adultery, eye for an eye, prayer, Every time he obliterates the letter of the law perspective to each of those rules and calls us to something deeper, something harder, to embrace the spirit of the rule more than the letter of the law. How hard is it really not to murder somebody? But how much harder is it not to be angry? How hard is it to buy a coat for someone that needs a coat? How much harder is it to give up your own coat and go without? Again, this idea of submission is about grace, especially grace to others. Because we're giving up our need to always get our way. Giving up our need to be recognized for our accomplishments. Didn't expect this here. Giving up our need to have our prayers answered right now or in the way we want them answered, or both, right? When we practice submission, we're free to value other people, even those we don't agree with. We're free to love unconditionally. We're, we're free to forgive those who've wronged us. All right. This is where I thought this would happen. Okay. When I think about this idea of being free to love unconditionally or love without reciprocation, I think about our current situation with fostering. We're down to fostering one of three brothers. We have the oldest, and he's been living with us since August. And over the course of his stay with us, Jennifer and I, um, and even Keegan, have said to him, I love you. On a number of occasions, I say it to him every time I put him to bed, and Jen does too. He's never once replied in kind to any of us. Now, some of you in dating relationships may have uttered the L word and been met with silence. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) That's awkward. No one likes that. This isn't about that, though. This is a kid whose life has been turned upside down. I understand completely why he's guarded with that word, with that sentence. And frankly, I'm proud of him for understanding on some level how big a deal that is. Now recently, this little guy found out who his dad is. He's had four telephone conversations with him since he was told about this. And at the end of the... Hang on. At the end of the fourth conversation, I was sitting in the other room. And as the phone call ended, 
he said, I love you to this guy. It was beautiful. And in that moment, I realized all the times we had said I love you to him that were met with silence were worth it. If he could get to the place where he could say it to this man who was so excited to have the opportunity to be in his life. They finally met in person this week, and he was so excited to go. He was so excited to be there. He was so excited to have met him. Um, And over the months of silences, I was in this place of peace, knowing that we were called to foster him. But I thought going into the process in August that this would end in some sort of adoption. But that's not the case. But I was able to let go of my expectations and my preferences about, because I know that God has this kid's best interests in, in mind. And I began to glimpse what our purpose was in this whole thing. All right. That's that idea of grace towards others. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about what we want. Even though that's what everything around us tells us it's about. It's about us. It's about me. Now, many of us, if not most of us, have adopted a view of biblical submission that's twisted, which is why we live out of this hierarchical view of submission, right? Like soldiers in the chain of command, resentfully following orders, or we've simply rejected the practice altogether. Embracing that twisted view often leads to self-hatred, and the rejection of the practice altogether leads to self-glorification. All right, what is submission not? Submission is not a loss of identity or personality. Instead, we're freed and equipped to be better and more content with God and others. Submission is not about self-hatred or being a doormat. We're called to love others as ourselves. We cannot love others if we do not love ourselves. We are not called to arrogance either. We cannot submit or love others well if self is our God. Self-interest and self-sufficiency prevents us from seeing our need for redemption and our need for continued spiritual growth. We've never arrived spiritually. Kara talked about that several weeks ago. We take steps deeper and deeper along the spiritual journey with its changing terrains and elevations and and we'll continue to need guidance and direction from the Lord as we trek along. We'll need to continue to pray, to discern, to submit over and over this endless loop. Now, what happens if we don't practice submission? We disregard unity. We disrespect authority. We foster discord, quarrels, and shame. Why? Because when we don't practice submission, we pursue self. And when we pursue self, we live out of fear. And in that mode, I protect what's mine. When mine is threatened, whatever mine is, money, things, reputation, job, status, theology. We get angry and bitter and resentful. And when our hurt isn't acknowledged or appeased, we cannot receive any goodness that the Lord has for us in our circumstances. We become imprisoned within our pain and our hurts and our resentment and our bitterness and our fear. But when we deny self and take up our cross and follow Jesus, when our minds are focused on Christ and not on our status, our situations, our possessions, our experiences, we will glorify the Lord. And when our stuff is threatened, we can remain at peace and joyful despite our circumstances. Self-denial is an understanding that we don't always have to get our way. Our happiness is not dependent on getting what we want. 
Reflexively then, when we don't get what we want, our world doesn't come crashing down. When our prayers are not answered, we do not revert to self-pity or wallow in a poor me kind of mindset. Self-denial is not a loss of identity, though. Remember that. In many ways, it's embracing our identity because we yield our desire to get what we want. When Jesus went to the cross, did he lose his identity as Christ? No, he fulfilled it. When Saul gave up his life persecuting Christians, did he lose his identity? No, he was given a new purpose. He went to Ananias' house after the Damascus Road, and he was told he's the Lord's chosen instrument to the Jews and the Gentiles. So why submission? Why do we have to submit? What's the big deal? Why do we have to do this? Because Jesus first lived a life of submission. He's the example. He literally took up his cross and submitted to his Father's desire for relationship with us. When he, could have, when he had multiple opportunities to call down an army of angels to rescue him. He regularly prayed to remain in communion with God. He lived in community with others to serve them and to disciple them. If we think about the journey of the disciplines and submission being one of them as a way to a deeper relationship with the Lord, we see submission as a, as a means of receiving Jesus as more than Savior, but as Lord as well. When we're receiving his work in us and his work through us for others, we recognize his authority in our lives and have faith and trust in his truth for us and others. We submit for the Lord's sake, whether we're talking about submitting to earthly authorities or our elders, like in 1 Peter, or in submission to one another, as talked about by Paul in Ephesians 5. That's an assent to Christ's authority and sovereignty over us. And we cannot obey the Lord's call on our lives or the Holy Spirit's leading or prompting until we submit to God's authority. Our relinquishment of our will is key to making this happen, denying ourselves and taking up our crosses daily. When we deny ourselves, we liberate ourselves from our misdirected ways to his ways, from temporary relief to lasting sustenance. The discipline of submission involves giving up things to Christ over and over, saying no to our agendas, to our plans, to our motivations, to our hurts, to our feelings, to our will, in exchange for his best for our life. Okay. Are we just supposed to submit to God? The answer to that question is no. All right, this is where we address one of the elephants in the room when we talk about submission. You ready, Jess? Every guy at some point thought it was hilarious to quote Ephesians 5.22 to his wife or his girlfriend. Hilarious. The funniest thing ever. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. We only thought it was funny because we didn't understand what Paul was trying to say here. Okay? Guys missed the point Paul is trying to make here. Wives should submit to their husbands in the same way their husbands are called to submit to the Lord. Right? Ephesians 5.25. Get ready, guys. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And why did Christ give himself up for the church? Because he was submitted to his Father's will. A man who is submitted to the Lord lives in humility. He denies self. He considers others before himself. 
He embodies the idea that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What wife wouldn't love and respect that man? Ladies, when we as men are not practicing the discipline of submission, we just hurl Ephesians 5.22 like a grenade into the conversation. Because we're ashamed of how poorly we've treated our wives who are calling us on something. Right, guys? Amen? Remember, one of the things that occurs when we're not practicing submission, we foster discord, quarrels, and shame. Done well, submission in a marriage means freedom also. It isn't forced, but offered freely in response to each other's love. When we are practicing submission to Christ, we have his best flowing through us, and we'll find ourselves seeking the best for our partner and having a heart to care for them. Right? And I haven't done this well. I'll be the first to tell you that. I've been putting off cleaning out the stupid garage for four years. Yeah, four years. And I need to submit to that as much as I don't want to clean out that garage. Uh, But I'm going to do it. Now I've said it, so I've got to do it. All right, submission um, plays a huge role in the body as well, especially those in leadership. Submission in leadership looks like servanthood, in case you wondered. When leaders put themselves on pedestals or we put them on pedestals, we prepare the soil for cultish gatherings. Moreover, that type of leadership is not the example we were given by Christ. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. When he said the first shall be last and the last shall be first, He wasn't just coining the first Christian catchphrase. He was declaring his heart for leadership. Spiritual authority doesn't emanate from personality or ordination or position or titles or degrees or election. It comes from God. Leaders have to swim in the waters of humility, knowing that anything the Lord does through them is just that, his work, the results of his will. Humility keeps us teachable and submitting to Christ's authority over our lives and our ministries. When things aren't going as we might have hoped, we can rest knowing that God has his and our best in mind and thus not give in to the temptation to manufacture ministry because we think it looks better if we're doing this or that. Leaders who operate outside the practice of submission will make decisions out of fear and self-interest, and the people they're supposed to be pastoring can get hurt or confused. Being in leadership, though, isn't easy. Even when you feel like you're doing it for the right reasons, right? Because the, mainly because the call, the call of the Lord is on your heart. I was talking with a friend this week who was at a low point when an outside observer might think things are going really well for that person. In speaking to this person, I just shared what I just told you. It's not your work to do. It's his work. But when we're not in a space where we're holding on to this idea of leadership as servanthood, the outside forces appear to be threatening what is mine, even my ministry, They can beat us down. So remember to pray for your leaders. Again, thank you, Kelly, for putting together the prayer shields for our staff here. It's a huge thing. Keep doing it. Okay, I mentioned this book earlier, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. There's a lot of, a lot of folks might have picked it up, might have bought it, thinking this is going to be really good. I'm going to read this thing. It's going to be awesome. And then put it down. Put it on the shelf. Put your Coke on it. Gave it away. Sold it at a yard sale for missions. Um, But there's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, But in there, Richard Foster talks about seven acts of submission. 
I see them really as seven objects of submission. The first one is submission to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Practically, this involves starting the day, starting the day yielded and still, inviting the Trinity into our day-to-day, yielding our body, mind, and spirit to God's purposes, right? Father, use me today to further your kingdom. Secondly, submission to the Word. We yield ourselves to hear the Word, to receive it, and to obey it. We ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the Word, anew and afresh, even the, even the psalm you've read a million times. Submission to our family. Jess, Philippians 2. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right? If parents practice this in front of their kids, if parents listen to their kids before scolding them, guilty, or telling them no, guilty. If kids witness their parents submitting to each other, showing each other grace instead of trying to win the argument, generations of people would be changed, and the communities around them would as well. Submission to our neighbors is the, is the fourth one. This applies in your neighborhood, your apartment complex, your workplace, the grocery store, the park, wherever, the trendy coffee shop, wherever you want to be. Submission to your neighbors, helping when they need help, listening when they need an ear, babysitting the single mother so she can have a night out, mowing the grass of the retiree down the street. It's not about the size of the gesture, okay? It's not about the size of the gesture. It's living out of the spirit of consideration for the other, right? This idea, uh, the Sermon on the Mount idea, right? It's not the letter of the law. It's the spirit of it, spirit of consideration for the other. Submission, fifth, fifthly, submission to the body. Now, this can take a couple forms. Submission to the church, the body. If there are things that the church needs help with, volunteer to help. We have a number of ministries here. You heard Jordan talk about connections this morning, right? Ask the Lord to show you how you can help, or maybe just volunteer. Secondly, the second way, second way the submission of the body kind of plays out If we're going to live out of the spirit of consideration for the other, then some of the theological sticking points that others embrace and we don't, and vice versa, need to be left alone. Does it really matter how someone else worships? Does it really matter if someone doesn't raise their hands or sits down while they're singing? Or if someone sings in between the choruses some words or phrases that aren't in the lyrics? Does it matter if someone raises both hands and jumps around like they're in the mosh pit at Coachella? What can we really tell about the sincerity of the way someone is worshiping by outward appearances? Nothing. So why do we get all caught up on things like this? Remember, one of the things that that comes about by not practicing submission, we disregard the unity. Right? If you want to unravel unity in the body, start nitpicking everybody's theology. Sixth, submission to the broken and despised. This one's pretty self-explanatory. James 1.27. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. First, we must be among them. The helpless, the undefended, the marginalized, regardless of our political persuasion. Second, we must discover ways to identify genuinely with them. And hopefully that will eliminate our tendency to refer to them as them. 
Seventh, submission to the world. We cannot live in isolation. We cannot create safe zones or Christian bubbles to shield us from whatever's out there. We can't. I'm going to share this story. Um, When I was an undergrad last century, I went my freshman year to the University of Florida. I was a few years into my Christian walk at the time, and I got involved in in a campus ministry, tried to go to one of the campus churches as much as I could or as much as I wanted to. Um, I was trying to live my walk outside the comfort of home and the youth group that I'd been a part of in Marietta. It was a great experience. My walk with the Lord was enriched through that time. My sophomore year, I transferred um, to a Christian liberal arts college in Kentucky, not because I needed to get into a bubble. I wanted classes that weren't 500 students taught by grad students, and I had a chance to play soccer for the college. But I encountered a number of students there who had been raised in Christian churches and gone to Christian schools and were now at a Christian college, from one bubble to the next bubble. And I found a lot of those students seemed to lean towards the legalist side of the spiritual spectrum. When faced with anything remotely challenging to their faith, they seemed inclined to ignore it, to shout it down, or to run from it. Now this came to a head one night on my hall when I heard my, hall, my room my senior year was at the end of the hall. My friend and I had finagled a triple room as a double, so we had this, all this extra space. We were seniors. We deserved it. Um, so my room's at the end of the hall, and I heard a couple freshmen towards the middle of the hall. They were discussing which New Testament class to register for the next semester. Now, I had actually taken New Testament at Florida my freshman year. It, it qualified as a history uh, credit, so I didn't need to take it again. Um, but anyway, these guys were talking about their new, which New Testament class to register for next semester. And one counseled the other. I could hear it down the hall. One of them said, don't take it with this professor because he teaches evolution. And I couldn't stop myself. I was walking back from the showers when I heard the comment, and I just yelled down the hall. I never stopped. I just kept walking into my room, and I yelled down the hall, take your God out of his box. Now, I'm not proud necessarily about how I handled that situation. Today, I would have engaged those guys in a conversation about the professor, who's a great guy, about evolution, about Christianity and science. I hope I would show them a little more grace because my shout from the other end of the hall was graceless. But I did take something from that experience that I think applies to this discussion of submission and this discussion of submission to the world. If we are to show grace to the world in a way that draws others to Jesus, we have to take our God out of the boxes we keep him in. He's a big God. Richard Rohr refers to him as the cosmic Christ. He's fully capable of sustaining us in the world we live in outside the walls of our churches and small groups. So submission to the world, to me, looks like living in the world and bringing light to the problems of the world, whether that's on a relational one-on-one basis or from the bigger picture with problems like poverty and starvation, drinking water, the environment, you go on and on. Living responsibly in the world through which we all find ourselves navigating. Okay, last page. I'm good on time. Don't look at me like that. The discipline of submission is, is what we've talked about, taking up our cross and following Christ, yielding our desire to have things our way, to always turn out the way we want them, following Jesus' example of servanthood. Once we shift that paradigm in our hearts, 
we can obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit in prayer, in the word, or in the shower, wherever he's prompting. Are you, are you willing to yield your desire to always get what you want? Are you willing to show grace to others? Are you willing to live out of a spirit of consideration for the other? Now, this is where I'm supposed to give you the three or five or ten steps towards submission. But I don't think it's that simple. Leaving behind the inherent drive for what's mine and developing a heart for others isn't a math equation. It's a mysterious, miraculous transformation that Christ can and wants to do in each of us. We've been talking about how to foster that for weeks now as we've been discussing the disciplines, right? Create space, solitude and Sabbath, scripture, simplicity, prayer, discernment. Each of these alone and in conjunction with one another will help us develop a closer relationship with Christ and in turn discover what work or works he has for us to do and foster a spirit that considers the other before ourselves. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for for showing us the example you want us to lead. Washing feet of others. Serving others. Letting others go first. Yielding our will in exchange for something 10,000 times better. Better in so many ways that we can see and can't see. Help us to submit to you. To, to yield our will. To stop being overly concerned with what's mine, with what's ours. Holding those things loosely. If it, if, if, if it means something more purposeful, more in line with your will. Help transform transform our hearts and minds. Shift that paradigm for us, Lord. And if we can't see grace for others because we can't give grace to ourselves, help us to see ourselves the way you see ourselves. Help us to capture and hold on to and live out of the identity we have in you. Make it so plain to us that all the things we worry about regarding ourselves and how we've acted aren't of a concern to you. All we need to do is turn to you. We can move forward with you. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us so that we can then see others the way you see them. We can't see others when we're looking through a lens that looks at, it, look, that looks at ourselves with such twisted 
perspective. If we have a twisted perspective on ourselves, we're going to have a twisted perspective on others. Have that spirit of consideration for the other. Please, Lord. We have prayer teams that can be up here for folks that want to pray. And you may want to pray for grace for yourself. You might want to pray for grace for others. You may want to pray for something completely different. Whatever you need prayer for. Healing, these folks can pray with you for that. Something's on your heart, the Lord's brought to the surface. Pray. Yeah, let's, let's stay in this space of prayer. And uh, we've got at least 10, 10 minutes before pizza's ready, so don't, don't, don't feel like you're missing out. No one's eating your pizza. Stay in this space. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.